I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, a filmmaker and competitive storyteller, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we help you break down the art and science of storytelling. My name is Rain Bennett. I am your host, and my job is to help you deepen your connections, increase your sales, and serve your audiences better. Every Monday morning, I send out a storytelling tip to my email subscribers, and I talk about how I have used it in my own storytelling for my clients and for myself, and I leave you with tangible advice on how you can apply it to your strategies. If this sounds like something that would interest you, go ahead and sign up for the newsletter at rainbennett.com slash weekly storytelling tips. Again, that's rainbennett.com slash weekly storytelling tips. This podcast is a Six Second Stories production. Six Second Stories is a video marketing agency that helps you tell heartfelt stories to maximize your impact in minimal time. Find out more about what we do at sixsecondstories.com. What's up, storytellers? There may be something that you don't know about me. Uh, I used to box. I used to box uh, a little bit competitively. I, I had a few fights, and... It didn't last very long. I started in my late 20s. It's not like it was something I wanted to pursue. Um, and then I ended up coaching the UNC or like being an assistant coach for the UNC club team. It wasn't like a varsity sport uh, at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And I realized very quickly as a maybe 27-year-old man that it was almost just as fulfilling to teach a 19-year-old techniques and maneuvers and watch them apply them to boxing and watch them win or stop someone with the techniques that I taught them. It was almost just as fulfilling as when I was able to do that myself. However, 
it included none of the risk, virtually none of the risk. I did spar with the kids, but uh, I was not in there having someone swing, uh, swing with ill intentions at my head. And since this wasn't a career path I was uh, pursuing and it was really something for fitness and just a challenge I wanted to give myself, yeah, that's about as far as I took it. But I've always loved the sport of boxing ever since I was a kid. My dad and I shared that, and of course I grew up with the Rocky movies, if you listen to the show or subscribe to my newsletter, you may already know that. Um, and and, and I've seen all, almost all boxing movies. Grew up in the Tyson, the Mike Tyson era. So yeah, it, it's it's in my blood. I love it. And around 2017 or so, I saw a film on Netflix called Counterpunch. And it was about different uh, boxers in different l- uh, levels or places in their careers and, and, and trying to make a life and a career out of boxing, which is not an easy thing to do. And one of the boxers was an Olympic boxer named Cam F. Awesome. That was not the name he was given. It was the name he chose. He officially changed his name to Cam F. Awesome. And he had an incredible personality and he was an incredible boxer. Um, he fought in multiple Olympics for, for, for the U.S., but he made his name for himself through a couple of key interviews, one uh, in which he called himself the Taylor Swift of boxing, which I don't even know if he had any real meaning behind that, but I think he kept um, kept making it to the finals but never uh, winning it. Um, and so I think that, uh, I don't know if he was trying to say he was a bridesmaid or what that meant, but anyway, it went viral and, uh, he became very popular because of that interview. Um, and then the documentary as well, I'm sure. So I followed Cam, we chatted back and forth on social media. Um, and at one point I saw that he was speaking. I knew that he had became a speaker. This was right when I started becoming a speaker too, or when I knew I wanted to. And I saw he was coming to Camp Lejeune, which is not far from where my mom lives, uh, in Eastern North Carolina to, to speak to Marines. And he went to speak to them about, uh, alcohol and drug abuse. It's very, a very, very big problem down there by Camp Lejeune. So it's an important topic for those young men and women. But, uh, it was, like I said, it was close to where my mom lives and I had just started a new video business, six second stories. And I was like, you know what? I'm already down there. I like his work. I'm, I want to learn more about speaking. I like the topic. I, you know, my father was an alcoholic. I, you know, that is an issue that's near and dear to my heart. And so I reached out to him and said, Hey, Cam, I was like, would you like somebody to, to, to video that for you? And, uh, he was like, uh, Yeah. So I went down with another friend of mine from Eastern North Carolina, uh, a camera operator, and we filmed it. And we met Cam, and, and Cam's awesome. We made good friends, and so Cam and I became friends, and we stayed in touch uh, over social media for the next few years. And and you know we'd send messages back and forth and check on each other, see how each other was doing. And in that story, in that speech that he gave, it was about it was the first time he had talked about alcohol and drug abuse, which he did experience. Previously or historically, he spoke on bullying and mostly to youth crowds, either schools that he would do boxing workshops in, um, or in this case, it was uh, it was the military, but they were still kids. They're 18 and 19 years old. And so uh, the thing that I noticed about him is that when he was talking about bullying, it came from an authentic place that he experienced. That's why he got into boxing. When he was talking about drugs and alcohol, 
this was from a real experience of his. Now he's talking about diversity and inclusion, and he talks about real experiences that he had. He never thought that racism was an issue for him until he started really diving into it and understanding these subtle these subtleties, these subtle ways that racism had influenced his life and his experiences. And when he realized that and when he was able to really look at that, it became very, very clear how much of an impact it had on him, himself. And so I thought this was such a great chance for you all to hear his story because you have two two things happening here. This is a story of resilience and a, a story of authenticity. And if you're a speaker out there, which I know a lot of you are, or an aspiring speaker, it's a great story of how to take control of your career by being authentically yourself, by making a job out of you, out of your brand. And I've done that. That's what I've done, and it wasn't easy. But this is another, another chance for you to hear someone else that did it and did it in a totally unique way. And that took his career from a boxer to a speaker, and I just think it's, it, it's so incredible. But... He's he's building this this ship as he flies it, so to speak. And I think there's a lot of value in this story, especially when you are in that state or that stage where you're like, I know I want to do something. I don't fit into this mold of traditional nine to five jobs. How do I do it? Whether that's becoming a speaker, like specifically in this case, or anything else. So this is an incredible real life case study of how Cam F. Awesome carved out a career for himself by being himself. Here is my conversation with Cam F. Awesome, and I hope you love it. Well, like a lot of speakers, 2020 kind of dealt us uh, a hand. I, I I think when we met, I was, I don't know if I, I was just starting my speaking career. And I don't know if how deep I was into it or if I had actually just started, but it was right around that time. And I was feeling good 2019, even early 2020, I was getting some national keynotes and then it was just like skirt record scratch, no mas. Uh, so how's it been for you? Uh I, I feel weird saying it. Yeah. It has been uh, it has been the greatest thing that could have ever happened to me. Interesting. Tell me more. Uh, so my life, and I don't talk, I don't go into my childhood too much, mm-hmm. but let's just say to wrap it up, it was a lot of chaos in my my life growing up, and then my teen years, and then in my 20s, even though I was doing the boxing thing, uh, I've never had money. And everything was chaotic. And I never knew where I was going to wake up the next week. Not in a bad way. Like sometimes it could be Paris or like sometimes it could be like <laughs> right, right. Louisiana in some small town, like speaking of school. Uh, so when this, when the world went up in flames and everything in chaos happened, I was in my comfort zone. Like mm. if the world continued like this, I'll be a billionaire in no, in no time. Like this is exactly what I need. Everyone who normally works on schedules and, and like needs that accountability. And this is how I've lived. I am thriving in this environment. Yeah. Uh, But also then you all so many people lost their lives and lost their jobs. I feel insensitive to say that. But yeah. I can't let that rain on my party. No, 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 no. And honestly, you're not alone in, in that. Um, I also have had a great year. Uh, the speaking gig stopped, but it opened up other opportunities. And I think um, 
the disruption allowed me to focus on certain things. So it was in a lot of ways, one of my best years, uh, business wise and, and, and certain, you know, health wise is we're fine. Everybody's happy, healthy, and safe. And I feel that too, that little bit of guilt, but I don't think that we're super unique in that because I think it challenged a lot of people or forced a lot of people to have to pivot and oh. think, and, or, you know, I just was talking about this, uh, uh, a second ago um, with another call about many people realized 2020 taught them that the rug, the proverbial rug can get pulled out from them at any time. So they're like, well, geez, if I can't bank on this nine to five job, why don't I just go after my passion? And then when they lean into that authentically, yes. then they're like, oh shit, I should have been doing this the whole time. I'm loving life and I'm making a business out of, out of what I love. So I think a lot of people I've heard that same sentiment, like, well, I kind of feel guilty, but this year has been awesome for me. I'm like, don't feel guilty. Yeah. Everyone who's gotten comfortable through society, because a lot of people don't realize how much others affect their behavior. And people can say, I don't care about anything. I don't care about anything. I have a friend, Matt. I've never heard him say he doesn't care about anything. And I can't tell you what he doesn't care about because if he doesn't care about it, he doesn't mention it. Like, mm. so there are people who, who say, I don't care what people think. I don't care what people, the fact that you're mentioning it means you care a little. Absolutely. And, and if you're wondering, like people want to change and they want to change things about themselves, whether it's they want to be vegan or they want to stop being vegan, or they want to become more of a healthy person, or they want to start exercising, or they want to talk about religion on social media. And they're afraid that their friends and people around them might think they've changed. Mm -hmm. So they don't. And before you know it, you've been conditioned to be the same exact person that you despise. And you take a look around at your life and you realize you went to college to get that job. You got that job and it was your idea when you were 14. And somehow you're still doing that job that you, you despise. But the debt from the debt you got from college, it's not really worth it to quit this job yet. So what you have to do is buy a house. But what does that house do? That house keeps you locked into that same spot. And they'll say, oh, real estate's great for investing. I don't care about money if I'm not happy. Oh, and, and at the, I mean, that's that the real estate investment thing is not necessarily true either. It depends on a lot of different situations. It can be, but it, it, that, that's an old like adage that I believe was, was made up, you know, selling this idea of the American dream. You have to buy this house and a oh, lot of who, financial people every, for one person to have the American dream, 99 people have to live in poverty. There's, and that's not so much the scarcity mentality. That's just the way the system is. It's not broken. So like, just, ah. so what I decided to do was I decided to separate myself. And I figured this at, uh, I was probably when I was 12, I realized like, I don't like school and school is just people where people tell you what to do mm. and you get paid in grades. And my payment was, I got bad payments. Uh, and I was reminded that I was stupid every five weeks with progress reports because I'm not a great, I'm not great at school. Uh, so I always thought I was stupid. And I decided I don't want anyone telling me what to do. And I didn't want to have a job unless I work for myself. So that's why like the, the school thing was never really uh, my deal or getting a job. I worked at Waffle House at 18. And after that, I said I would do anything I can. I will hustle. I will bust my butt to not be able to work. And uh, I had a lot of help on the way. And luckily the world uh, appreciates athletes because I got a bunch <laughs> of things for free and a lot of doors opened. Uh, but I decided to live my life in a way that 
I, I don't care how it makes other people feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I say what I want. I do what I want. I go where I want. And I try not to let anything hold me back. And I didn't realize I, I didn't realize that I've always been like that. Just yeah. kind of like this year has made me realize like, oh, some people can't function without others telling them what to do. Uh, definitely you know that's interesting about the school and you realizing it at such an age when we first started chatting today you talked about how you know the pandemic was fine and it was great for you because you thrive in chaos that's how you operate but school is not designed our school system is not designed for people that learn in that kind of interactive style it's very systematic you know you sit in rows you know it's just and, and you do the same lessons as everybody else and you get graded it's very it's like you know very industrialized right it's not yeah. made for and someone actually, who learns like you that, do the industrial revolution is what led our school system to where it is right now and before i go any further on the school system i hate talking about how much i hate a school because <laughs> i feel like somehow that negatively reflects teachers and i do not ever not want that thing. to be the case yeah it's it's not the teachers, it's the system. Uh, I I don't understand how teachers are teachers. I, I mean, any of the great teachers, let, and we'll ask the people in the audience to think about this, because from my experience, this is 100% true. Any of the teachers that stand out in my mind, whether in college, elementary school, uh, high school, are teachers that made it a conversation, that made it interactive. It was never like, I'm going to lecture you, and then you're going to repeat this information back to me. I don't remember those teachers. I remember the teachers that pushed us to think for ourselves, to have conversations, treated us like adults, always. Oh, yes. You know what I mean? I- Treat, I think you should treat students like adults and then expect them to behave that way because it's not going to work the opposite. You can't treat them like kids. And then when they're acting like kids, you're like, why are you guys acting like kids? (laughs) That's a great point. Yeah. When, when I do talks at schools, like when they were in person, if a kid took their, their phone out, I'm like, I see you have your phone out. Not a big deal. Just don't let me see it. And I just continue on. And out of respect, you're like, all right, well, if he's being cool, we don't want to be a dick. So kids don't put their, take their phones out. It's like yeah. you give them the rope and they'll just put it down. They don't want to hang themselves with it, but they want to know that they're at least respected enough to have it. And it's, you know, when you pose it like that, you're asking them for help. You're not demanding of them. Nobody wants to be told what to do, especially a kid who's learning their own identity and starting to, you know, feel like a human for the first time. I just said that when I was 12, <laughs> I decided this is like not what I wanted to do because like school, because I, I, I was never given the the proper reinforcements and I just wasn't the most educated. And there's a lot of fake it till you make it. Uh, And where do you, do you have a person you speak to about money? Because in America, we all talk about capitalism, capitalism's king, like no one's doing anything for free. We're all doing things for money. We send our kids to schools. We want to send them to the best schools so they can have the best jobs. Why? So they can have all the money, 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 more lives circle around money but it's disrespectful the moment you ask someone how much they make. Mm. So how do you go about talking money? Because culturally, uh, it's not the most comfortable topic to talk about in, uh, in the world. Yeah. How do I go about it? Yeah. Like Did- with, with negotiating, with setting your prices. Okay. Um it's a good question. And for a beginner speaker, that's what a lot of people struggle with. And I did too. Um, I, I took a big leap up. Um, you know, I, I got, 
because I was comfortable in what I believed and what I had to say. And I was comfortable on stage. I knew I could be a good performer, but I didn't know anything about the business of speaking and how to book gigs. So I started where most people start, you know, doing free workshops, storytelling workshops and things like that and making connections and getting some free gigs. And then um, started to have some things to leverage, meaning like video of myself speak, like doing the thing that I claimed I could do. And then um, the first the first big call that I got, I'd done a couple smaller conferences was for uh, National Association of Realtors events. And this was in 2019. Um, and that one I jumped to five figures. So it, it was a 10 grand uh, weekend and I gave them as much value as I could. I, I did a workshop and a keynote that weekend. So it wasn't just for one speech, it was for, for the weekend. But I had taken a huge leap to do that. And how'd that feel? Amazing. Were you extra, were you extra nervous because of the, um, probably a little bit because I was like, Oh shit, this, this is real. Like, this is what I wanted. This is why I said I wanted, you know, national keynote. Uh, and I got it. I knew I could do it though. It's kind of like, I actually wrote about this recently. Um, Oh, it was the Instagram post I did today about, you know, Tyson's, uh, you know, line in, in the documentary Tyson about how when he left the tunnel, he felt so insecure and scared. And by the time he stepped in the ring, it was this whole process of, of him like losing that that feeling. And by the time he stepped in the ring, he felt like a god. And so like, like anything, any performance, once you start, it's gone. We had technical difficulties on that. Like the, the, the keynote presentation wasn't working. I was chill. I did my flying push-ups and stuff for the, 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 the pre-story that I was telling about how I got there. So that got them interacting. Like when I was going, I was fine, but definitely leading up to it. I, I, I would say I was cause I had never done something that big. And I said, I'm worth 10 grand, you know, but I, I, I delivered and then I was like, okay, you know, I know, like, I know what I'm worth now. Now, then the problem for me became like, okay, how do I do that consistently? Because I did it once, but, you know, you kind of have the sophomore slump and, and then just like, okay, but just how do I, how could I make that happen once or twice or three times or five times a month? That's what I'm looking to yeah. do. And I was starting to get my groove and figuring that all out. And, and then 2020, you know took that away but it you like you know it made me pivot to start doing story coaching one-on-one -on -one story coaching with people which has been great i awesome. want to know a little bit about you know when i when you and i met which i can't remember if it was 2017 or 18 but you know you came to camp lejeune in north carolina to talk to to marines about substance abuse and alcohol it's rampant down there in in, in, in onslow county i think where they are um and i know you've been on the speaking circuit for a while at that point so what led you from, you know, let's take, I don't know if you started speaking while you were still boxing, but like yeah. what led you to start the speaking career? Uh, actually, when I won nationals, my first national championship in 2008, uh, uh, the owner of ringside, the boxing equipment company. Uh, he, is that John Brown? Or? Yeah, John Brown. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was Tommy Morrison's coach as well. Mm -hmm. uh, he flew me to Kansas City. I never knew and didn't know who he was. Uh, and basically the arrangement we made is uh, he coaches me for free, but once a semester, I have to go to all of the middle schools and high schools, take over the gym class for an entire day and give boxing demonstrations to get more kids involved into our free boxing gym, like to keep kids out of uh, off the street. And I would have to lug in like hundreds of boxing gloves and I have to get there early. Then I would have to break everything down. I have to put gloves on these kids. And I realized one day, 
was like, if I can find something to talk about for 45 minutes, I don't need to drag these gloves in. Uh, so I just started giving talking about boxing stories with students and they asked and I would show them like punches, but then it morphed into like a speech and I was, I somehow started doing stand-up comedy as well. Uh, and I did a joke about when I was speaking at a school and one of the, one of the people on the crowd came up to me and was like, uh, can you tell me about speaking at schools? Uh, how much do you charge? And I was like, uh, oh, I, I, you can't make money doing that. Uh, and he's like, <laughs> The, the guy, Devin Henderson, I remember his name. He's like, yeah, you can. And I was like, sounds like a pyramid scheme. <laughs> he gives me his business card. And he's like, I'm a professional speaker. And at that point, I didn't know you could get paid for it. So I was doing it just for boxing. And I actually enjoyed doing it. So yeah. I found something that I loved. I was doing it a bunch because it was, I was doing it for free, a hobby. Mm -hmm. And then someone told me I'd get paid for it. And I was like, Devin, can I take you for coffee in the morning? Uh, and he got me hooked up with the National Speakers Association and kind of started from there. So did uh, you, if I could pause real quick on that, because I, I, you, uh, you linked up with NSA at that point. Has that been beneficial for you? No, not even in the slightest. Uh, I, I, there are so many great people in NSA. True. I'll start by saying that. Facts. The connections you make, but I went to their, I'm big on money. Because I can do this for free. If I'm going to do this for money, I want to talk about money. I paid to go to their 2007, it was 2016, uh, their, their uh, conference. Mm -hmm. It was in, it was a resort in Phoenix, uh, beautiful place. And I got there, a speaker with a, the opening keynote. He said something about whatever. I knew I was there. I paid a lot of money to be there. I paid for the flight. And this is, I didn't have much money at the time. So this was like a big deal for me. Mm -hmm. So I went, my plan was to go to every session and he, this first guy got done talking, had nothing to do with anything. It was just kind of like a fluff piece, like just get the crowd ready. And I asked, stood up and I said, uh, I have a question. It's like, yeah. It's like, uh, where do you set your price? Do you set it on what you think your value is or how much you think their budget is? And everyone like clammed up and froze. And I felt like, cause I play call of duty a lot of the time. So sometimes a lot of times like fuck. And you know, you curse randomly. So I was like, did I slip up and curse? Because the way everyone was acting was like, if I cursed. Yeah. And then like, he kind of answered my question, but didn't. Yeah. And at the end, someone approached me and said, hey, one of our rules here is uh, we don't talk numbers. We don't talk money. And I was like, you guys were completely okay talking money when you accepted my $1,600 to come to this thing. Uh, I'm here to talk about money. So I didn't go to any of the meetings and I just sat in the bar for the four days of the conference. And every time someone walked in with a speaker's badge on, I asked to buy him a drink. And I learned so much from, from that bar. I stayed in that bar for probably 12 hours a day. I learned so much from those people because they, they, they'll talk to you about money one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. So what the hell am I going to, 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 to talk about generic information in these breakout sessions? No, I want to talk about money. It's why I'm here. So the National Speaker Association, I met people I'm still friends with to this day. That if I have questions about speaking, I'll reach out to. Uh, I pay for the, the 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 yearly thing, so I can put it on my website to say I'm a member of the National Speakers Association in case someone cares because it's not that expensive. But it it to me, it was more of a pissing contest. It was it was less about how do we grow and more about what have you done. Mm -hmm. And there's a like a million dollar speaker club, which I think it's pretty vain. I'm like, instead of having a secluded club where only the top elite can go, 
the hell if I'm not going to be allowed to, to converse with the million dollar speaker group, the hell am I doing in this conference? Yeah. Uh, so I do see there's benefit for some people myself. Okay. I'm not very conventional and I don't really follow normal rules. Uh, I could be further. And I will, I will, people say it all the time. Like I could be, I could be further in life if I were to just play by the rules and just follow procedure and not rock the boat. But if I'm not going to have fun doing what I'm going to do, I'm not going to do it. So, so when he took you there and kind of started showing you the ropes and telling you that you could, you could make money from, from this, what was it? What was the next step for you? Like next step was obsession. Did you know what you wanted to speak about at that time? Uh, I was, I, I knew I dealt with bullying uh, because of my weight. And that's why I originally got into boxing. So, ah, so that... I wanted to talk about bullying. Uh, but then a lot of the schools I go to cyberbullying became a thing. Yeah. So I figured instead of talking about bullying and then slipping cyberbullying, I now talk about bullying and I talk about cyberbullying. Mm -hmm. And I also talk about appropriate social media use. So I turned one topic into three topics. Mm -hmm. uh, and someone made a joke when I was speaking at these <laughs> schools. I did my first tour in uh, 2000, 2016, April 1st, uh, 2017, April 1st. I took off on, uh, on my first like speaking tour. Uh, had I took the deposits, I booked like 20 speaking engagements in over like the course of 42 days. And I took all the 50% deposits and that's what I used to like get my car running enough to go to these trips. And I put, I put all of my money into this, into my Prius and like oil change tires. And I left Kansas city at let's say 8 AM, 10 30. I hit a sheet of ice and was, I totaled my Prius and was in a ditch two and a half hours into the trip. And as my car was spinning in circles, I wasn't worried about my health or anything. I was just doing math. And I was like, I can't afford this. I can't afford this. Oh no. So I had like, I had not enough money on my debit card to, to get a hotel, but I had enough money. If you know how debit cards work <laughs> to get a rental car for one day. And you know what? We're just going to let that day ride. So I, I went to the, because uh, I could have turned around and canceled the trip. But if I'm speaking on resilience, how would it look if I just like canceled my trip Did you, three hours in? And so you were just like, I'm just going to make it to that first gig. Yep. Uh, it took me some time to, to get out the ditch. Uh, tow truck yeah. came, uh, worked out a deal with him. They, they just, it was a total car. So they took it to a shop. Uh, I had the tow truck. I had a guy, I waved down someone to stop. It was a, to see if I was okay. Yeah. Uh, I had them take me to the airport because there's an airport five miles away where yeah. I rented a car uh -huh. for one day. And then I kept that car for 43 days <laughs> on the one day. Right. So I, <clears throat> I ended up losing money on the trip, but nothing was going to stop me from, from doing but this. You tour. knew, you knew that that first gig, like you were going to get the second half of your payment and that might keep you going. Is that, is oh. that, the, was that the idea? Yeah. Yeah, I had to drive because I the first gig I was supposed to stop off in I think like Louisiana or somewhere in uh -huh. halfway point, but because my timing was thrown off, totaling of the car, getting a new car, I had to drive through the night mm -hmm. uh, and drive straight to the to the school. I got to the school about four thirty in the morning. I slept in my car. I brushed my teeth uh, out in the parking lot and just like walked into the school like nothing was wrong and added the video of the car crash into the presentation that's that's what i was going to ask because when i met you i was like you know 
what interests me is you were telling your real stories, your authentic stories, and you really leaned into that uh, when we, you know, fast forward to the Camp Lejeune speech. But that's what I was going to ask is, is in this first one, because it seems like you, it strikes me like you, but maybe you wouldn't have done it at, at the beginning of your career. So you use that story in that presentation because you said it was about resilience. Yeah, I uh, told him I, I, I let him know. I was like, I was on my way here. And uh, that rental car was expensive. Yeah. It ended up costing something like $2,700. Mm. Uh, but if you when you leave the state with a car, because I'm on the speaking tour, I was going to drop it off. It was an extra like $1,200 if you dropped it outside of the state oh, wow. that you rented it in. So I was just like, we. I was just trying to book more gigs on the road mm-hmm. while I was going, and yeah. It was, how did how did they respond when you when you told them the story of a wrecking on on your way to talk to them? Oh, they uh, they thought it was a pretty crazy story, and everyone's like, oh, the the kids thought it was was pretty cool. Uh, it in I, I never. A lot of people say like. I, I think I live in the moment to the extreme to where when bad things happen, like bad things have happened to me so much that I don't care anymore. Mm. Uh, failure, I used to be embarrassed about failing. And now it's just like, oh, w- worst case scenario, I have another cool story. So that's the kind of way I, I approach everything. Uh, after I totaled my the car during that trip, uh, after that tour, I was in San Diego uh, hanging out with my friends Bill and Amy and they were like oh you told like what are you gonna buy another Prius because I love I love Priuses and uh it's a poor man's Tesla I'll get a Tesla one day but uh like she made a joke about like oh down by the river and I was like what's that she's like you can live in a van down by the river I was like I I don't know what that means and she shows me this Chris Farley skin yeah yeah and I was like I didn't even know that you can live in a van and it's right then that that week, I I left San Diego, came back to Kansas City, hopped on, got on Craigslist, found a van, took a train to to uh, Penoria, Illinois, or somewhere, uh-huh. and bought a van. Uh, had nothing in it, and July fourth, uh, July fourth, two thousand seventeen, a couple months later, I woke up to my uh, year anniversary, like July fourth, two thousand sixteen. I didn't make the twenty sixteen Olympic games Mm. like i got to represent america but i lost the international competition Mm -hmm. and i posted on social media that uh i don't know what i'm gonna do but i will re 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 reinvent myself again uh and then i woke up july 4 2017 a year later after that post i have a van in the driveway uh i put all the money i have into this van there's no heat in it it's august it's hot i have no ac uh no heat no bed there's a futon that the guy before used to live on, uh, who I bought the the van from. And I just got a feeling, I was like, people talk about like taking these leaps of faith. What's the worst that can happen? So I didn't tell anyone anything. I just, I got up out of my, like my apartment and I just started packing things in my van. I didn't know where I was going. Uh, I didn't know what I would need, uh, but I knew I didn't have heat. So I would hell, I was gonna head North. Uh, because I figured it might be cooler up there. That was the only thought. So I was like, all right, I'll drive to uh, Des Moines, Iowa. And when I get there, I will have a plan. But if I, if I think about it in this house, I might stay. So I just, I packed up the van in two hours and I just drove to Iowa. 
And when I got to Illinois, I stopped off at a Chipotle to actually like eat and have a thought about where the hell am I going? Am I going east, west? I know I'm going north. Uh, and then I realized Chipotle is a closed on July 4th. <laughs> so I didn't, when I tell you, I didn't have a plan, but I ended up in Toronto. Uh, wow. ended up in Toronto for a couple of weeks and I ended up doing some vegan events up there that paid some, paid some money. And that's kind of when I started my, my van journey of traveling around the country. And, and that's another story that you shared openly and willingly too. You all, you always have seemed to be in this speaking career, unapologetically you, right. And you also have really leaned into into telling your authentic story, right? You you started um, with the bullying, which is something that you experienced. Then when I met you, at least for that speech, I don't know if this is how long you were doing this, but you were talking about alcohol and drugs and you talked about, you know, some issues that you had with that. Talk to me a little bit about the impact and the effects of being able to lean into those kind of for some people traditionally like tough to talk about topics, right? It's not easy to, to say, Hey, I went through this and it sucked and it hurt or here's something I struggle with. That's not easy for a lot of people. And I don't know if it's easy for you or you just like, you know, push through it, but tell me a little bit about why you, you are able to do that and the impact that it has on the people you speak to. Uh, I would say uh, why not? Hmm. That that's my, that's my theory and everything in life is just like, should I do this? Well, why shouldn't I do it? Oh, is it, is it going to hurt my feelings? Is it my ego that, that is afraid to fail at something? Cause if so, I'm being a bitch and that's not what we're about. <laughs> uh, so even the, the Camp Lejeune situation, yeah. it was, I don't even remember who the, the lady's name, like she was here in Kansas city and she like, uh, I was speaking in, uh, was Hilton head, North Car uh, South, South Carolina. Carolina. Or, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah so I was, I was in Hilton head. And the opportunity came up to speak there and, and I'm trying to make a name for myself. I'm driving around the country for every paid gig I do. I'm doing one for free because I believe in karmic debt. And maybe if I wasn't a great person in my past, I will be a great person in the future. So my goal was for every one gig I book that's paid, I'll do one for free. And it would also help me with my testimonials. It will help me with stage experience. And I just want to speak. If I'm yeah. going to get good at it, I need to do it a lot. So the opportunity came to speak at Camp Lejeune. And uh, I was told that they would record it. Uh, I would, uh, it was supposed to connect me to, to do the, uh, the comedy tour for the troops. Uh, and that was like, I was super excited about doing that. And all these promises, this, this lady like sold me and told me she would get me a, a place to stay because like I was in the van, it was a little cold. I was like, cool, I get to, I'll get a hotel for a night. I'll cook and like bring food back to the van thought about all that. And I never spoke about uh, those, those issues. This is the first time I ever got on stage and spoke about uh, my drug abuse, uh, alcohol abuse, and any, or any of that. I just saw it as an opportunity of, hey, what's the worst that can happen? Mm -hmm. Oh, I meet a cool dude who just hit, hit me up online and was like, hey, are you speaking at Camp Lejeune? I'd come out record you. And now we're doing a podcast. So <laughs> I didn't, it, I got yeah. satisfaction from it was cool to see meet so many troops and like mm. it was shocking how young they were like yeah dude yeah children it didn't it didn't i when i was talking i was looking at the crowd and i was like children. first uh, like much respect to them they're doing something i would never be able to do the 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 top level of badass 
but also they were so young and it was it was it was such a weird feeling because i was like i'm young too I'm, i was like 28 29 i was like mm -hmm. i'm young but they're okay. so young <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh but yeah i i believe in leaning into everything it's an experience and at the end of the day at the end of your life all you have are, are experiences and i want to I want to smile on my deathbed and I don't want anyone to be able to figure out why I'm smiling. What are the experiences that you're leaning into now that you're sharing your, you know, your story about on, on stage or on the virtual stage perhaps? Yeah, uh, actually. So was, uh, the, the pandemic hit me, I was supposed to be going to the 2020 uh, Tokyo games for Trinidad and Tobago. Mm -hmm. My dad's Trinidadian. I decided to fight for Trinidad because America, they won't let me continue my speaking business. Uh, Interesting. So that's, that's why I ended up fighting for Trinidad. I made their team. Uh, and when the pandemic happened, I, I, I was just frozen. I was like, there's no Olympics. Uh, I stopped my book speaking bookings for the year because uh, I wanted to focus on boxing. And I was living in Portland, Oregon with my girlfriend. And she's a school counselor. And she would come home miserable and she was working at home because of the pandemic and the students are, are like, everything's just miserable. And I live my life in a way that I want to be happy. And I do, I will do anything to be happy. Even things I don't want to do. I'll do things that make me unhappy just so I can eventually be happy. Uh, and if she's a part of my life, the biggest part of my life, her and the dog, uh, if she's unhappy, I'm unhappy. And I've always heard people say that, but I felt it for the first time because I've never mm -hmm. had a real relationship. Uh, and it was the first time I've ever, I was ever living with a girl, uh, which kind of, I was, it was her apartment. I still have my van in the, in the parking lot, but uh, it was the first time I was living with a girl and I, I love her so much. And if she comes home and she's upset, I'm also upset. Yep. So if her job as a school counselor is stressful and granted, she was making, I think, 85 a year. She was making good money. She had a, her master's degree in counseling. Uh, I told her, hey, if you really believe that you don't need much to be happy, quit your job and come live in the van with me. We <laughs> will figure something out. We'll move to Kansas City. Land is cheap there. We'll probably be able to buy a house eventually. Uh, so she, she had faith in me. She quit her job. And we hopped in the van, we put everything we owned in the van, drove to Kansas City, and somehow was able to buy a house. And, uh, but during that process, when we were trying to buy the house, I called my realtor, for, uh, my a mortgage broker, mm -hmm. and he, we were talking about the George Floyd incident and the murder that happened. And uh, he says, we're, we're talking about the, the, the wrong that goes in the world racially, especially in America. And he's like, he says, I know that and this is a, a white guy. And he says, I know that black people are less likely to be hired if they have black sounding names. Hmm. Why don't they just name their kids Timmy? And he, he said it well intended. And that it was so wrong what he said, yeah. but I couldn't articulate why it was wrong. And I got off the phone with him and it bothered me. So not what he said. It was that I was, I lacked the knowledge to be able to defend myself in a conversation with a friend. Uh, so I got off the phone with him and I just started doing so much research. I, I read, uh, I read Cass, I read how to be an anti-racist. I read uh, Stamp from the beginning. And I, did, I spent the next three months, I didn't post online, didn't do anything. I just read. 
and I, I wanted to inform myself on these issues. And then I decided this is the stuff I want to speak to to students about. But I also don't want to make a career out of speaking to students because there's not enough money in doing that. It's, it's a hobby. I would like to do it for free. Uh, so I want to build myself to the point where I can speak to kids for free on my, as, a, as a hobby. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I decided I want to speak on diversity and inclusion. So since I'm so well-versed in this now, uh, and it actually doesn't take much to be more educated than everyone else no. <laughs> because it's such a taboo topic yeah. that adults don't talk about race because when they were kids, it was taboo to talk about race mm-hmm. and kids today don't get to talk about race because the adults are afraid to talk about race. So those kids are going to be adults that don't talk about race and guess what we're going to have to deal with when we become adults. Yeah. So, talking to people of different races and communicating with them and that's cultural competence. So I started speaking to educators uh, doing professional developments at schools, mm-hmm. teaching teachers how to better communicate with their students and more importantly, the parents of their students uh, and I realized how little adults know, and not just white adults, everyone, how little adults know about cultural competence and connecting with people that are different than you. And I've, I, the best way I found to put it is we've heard that America is a melting pot, and I disagree. For one, that's an old school term. It's, it's now a salad bowl because all cultures are whole in the same salad bowl, but uh, that's not true. We're bento boxes. Like, we, even when we live in the same city, we occupy different areas and one, one group of people just make their assumptions about another group and they just, they live by that. And I did the same thing. And this next generation of kids, they're so much better than us because they know what the issues are. They're educated. They're not afraid to talk about it and they don't owe anyone anything. So like you and I, we were like, okay, we have bills to pay. We have to carry ourselves a certain way. These kids are courageous, they're brave because they have nothing holding them back. Mm -hmm. So realizing how little adults know, I decided to do a campaign for February uh, to just talk about intent versus impact Mm -hmm. uh, and cultural competence with students. So my goal was actually to make this my last hurrah of speaking at schools so I can brand myself not as a youth speaker, but as a diversity and inclusion speaker that's speaking to students. And uh, my goal was to book 28 speaking engagements uh, for $100 for the month of February, one for each. And I, I just wanted to charge 100 because they, I, my time needs to be respected because a lot of times you do it for free, they forget to get on the Zoom call or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, I, did, I, I did it for $100 and I started this January 4th. I did this promotion and nothing happened. Like not a school was interested. And then domestic terrorism happened on January 6th. A bunch of people stormed the Capitol. Uh, and again, I hate to say it, it has been the greatest thing for business. I, I booked uh, 13 speaking engagements the day after that incident. Uh, and I, I met my goal of, of 28 for the month of February, 28 speaking engagements at school for the month of February. Uh, I raised my price uh, four times and then lowered it once. It's important to get cocky sometimes and know where you are. <laughs> I was like, oh, $100. I was booking so much for 100 I was like, well, that's going to be too easy of a goal. So I moved up to 250 moved up to 400 moved up to 750 And I was like, oh, okay, we know where our worth is. Okay, readjust the price. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now I get, to, I get to do what I love. Uh, I, I'm 
I love technology. I have all these lights and cords and I've just collected all this podcast equipment throughout the years. And now everything is actually finally coming together career-wise. All the gigs I did for free, all of the, the things I learned, the stand-up comedy I did, I did stand-up comedy, not for stand-up comedy, but to learn how to deliver a joke because yeah. I know I'd want to be speaking. I emceed probably a hundred vegan festivals in two years. Uh, most of them for free. If not, they would just pay for my gas uh, just to learn the craft because I wanted to get good at it. And after I believe after you're good, then you can start charging what you're worth. Uh, but I think a big part of a big part of who I am is the fact that I am, I'm self-aware when I feel like it because <laughs> Uh, I've done, I, I've, I've, I've done so many speaking engagements. I've been fired from volunteer work. Like <laughs> one, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put them on blast because I was, I was honored that they had me, but they booked me for this, uh, this cancer foundation. It's, it's, it's a, it's a very big cancer foundation here in America. And they booked me for this gig, which was here in Kansas city. And they booked me because they saw on an interview, I did a TV interview saying, I don't know why they have these galas and these, these charity events if they're stuck up and boring. I don't wanna take my only day off to go to a charity event if it's gonna be stuck up and boring. When you have the option of making it fun and lively. Mm -hmm. uh, so they booked me to see what a fun and lively event was. First thing, like if you booked me for that, let me do my job. Right off the bat, they like, they, they gave me all of my notes and everything. And I put in a slideshow on my phone because I'm going to read the notes out of my phone. I'm not carrying a piece of paper around because it's not 1997. Uh, first issue, they had a problem that I was reading uh, my introductions and everything off my phone because I said it was unprofessional. And I, and I, I couldn't, I can't wrap my mind around that. I'm like, and, and, uh, that was one thing. Uh, another thing is I, I, I messed up, uh, I messed up one of the charity announcements. I misread it because they gave me a piece of paper after a while. Uh, and that was the, it was like an initial event before the big yearly event. And they're like, Hey, uh, thanks, but we're going to go a different direction for the, for the, <laughs> for the major event. And I got some, I got some feedback from that. And I, I, I hate and love feedback. First of all, I believe in myself. I love myself. I changed my last name to awesome. We get how highly I think of myself. The last thing I need anyone to do is pr to preserve my ego. So that guy, Devin Henderson, who sat me down, I brought him to one of my first speaking engagements. Mm -hmm. uh, it was at a, a car dealership for salespeople. And he walked in the room. He sat, uh, he sat towards the back, but I could see him clearly. He refused to talk to me. I'm like, I went to talk to him. He's like, hey, it's okay. You just go ahead. Uh, you do your thing, Cam. And, and he was, he, he, the whole time, he just took notes. And I killed the speaking engagement, man. Like, I didn't really bring him. I brought him there to show him, like, I, I, I booked a speaking engagement. After we spoke about it, like, I wanted to show him what I did. Mm -hmm. And after, and I, I brought him there to, like, assess me and tell me what he thought, because he's an experienced speaker. Uh, and he brought me to Starbucks after and we sat down and he opened up his book. It was like 16 pages. Everything I did, he ripped me apart. It was one of the most, in a polite way, it was exactly what everything from my introduction to the introduction I gave, to my closing, to my ums, to my uh, to my transitions, 
he broke everything down and it tore my ego. I walked out of there with my head in my, in my back pocket, man. Uh, and it was the greatest thing that could have ever happened to me speaking wise. Cause I don't do any of those things anymore. Mm. And yeah, it hurt my feelings, but the greatest thing that could have come from that was, was getting my feelings hurt to know the truth. When you're talking now about diversity inclusion, is that another area or topic where you lean on your, your, your personal stories or your personal experiences? Uh, yeah. And the, the crazy thing about it was I didn't realize how much, uh, racism affected my life. Uh, for one, when I, when I, John Brown, when I first moved to Kansas City, he, uh, I didn't have a car, so he gave me his old car. And his old car was a, a cherry red hardtop Lexus convertible. And I got to drive that around the city, and that was like my primary car. And I would get pulled over all the time, but I was really good at talking myself out of getting tickets. Like I was, I never got, I never got a ticket. Like I think once, but I would always talk myself out of tickets and I would brag about how good I was at talking about, about getting out of tickets. And one day John Brown was like, Hey, uh, I know that you think you're, you're, you're a good talker, but do you know why you get out of those tickets? I'm like, no, you tell me why he's like, cause they weren't pulling you over for a justified reason in the first place. And the first thing I thought was like, okay, you're a 70 something year old white dude. Like you think the world is racist and this is 19 year old me. Uh, and I was like, they're not pulling me over because I'm black. Uh, and we, we would always laugh about it. He's like, did you get pulled over lately? I'm like, doesn't matter. It's not because I'm black. It's the car. And when I finally traded that out for, after I finally realized it was true, I traded that Lexus out for a Prius. Mm-hmm. And that's where I got my love for Priuses. And I was never pulled over after that again. And we had a conversation about it. And he's, and he's like, can you admit, because he likes to point out when he was right. He's like, can you admit I was right? And, and that was kind of, uh, that was kind of a moment I didn't put much thought into, mm-hmm. but it was in 2018, 2017. Well, uh, that first winter when I got that van, it was a uh, summertime. I was in, in Austin, Texas. I stopped off at a hotel to, uh, I get a hotel every 10 days. I wash my clothes and I meal prep for, for like a week. Sure. Uh, and they park, I park at valet in the front. You park valet for free because the band can't fit anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, so parked the valet. I went inside at the end of the night. I went out, uh, took one of those little scooters, uh, went out, grabbed something to eat on the way back. I saw, uh, I saw a van in the hotel parking lot. It looked just like my van. But the thing is like 12 hours before, I was at a Walmart finally outfitting my van. Like I got some money from speaking engagements. I put, I got a generator. Uh, mm. I got, uh, I got a hitch for the back of the van. That's why I couldn't fit in parking spots. Uh, I got all the wires. I got, I spent probably about $4,500 on, on stuff in within that 24 hours. And when I was getting back to the hotel that night, I saw a van that looked just like mine, but I was like, well, my van has a hitch on the back with a generator and my tools that I just bought. And I was like, oh, my, my van also has a Kansas license plate. And I got closer. I was like, oh, my van got robbed. Like, mm-hmm. so I called the police and this is like probably 10 o'clock at night. I call the police and they show up and I tell them, I tell the guy, I'm like, like I just spent like the last, I spent six hours today putting, outfitting this van. And, and I'm telling him like, everything just got stolen. I parked, I like, I parked the hair valet. I left on 
I left on a scooter, like the scooter was still there. And as I'm talking, he's just not listening to me. And he finally says, you know, I should arrest you right now for filing a false report. And I was like, okay, all right. So I turn and I go to the van because I keep all my receipts yeah. in, a, in a binder. So I go to the van to get the receipts and he grabs me by my shoulder and he's like, if you need anything out of your car, I'll get it. As if I'm going to pull out a gun out or something. And then he refused to take my police report. So to this day, there's no police report. I lost $4,500 worth of stuff. Uh, and the next morning, I just, I went back to uh, North, Northwestern Tools. I think that's called. Uh, and I just, I bought all the same exact things and I bought it again. And I, just, I never posted about it. I didn't say anything about it. Uh, and I just made the van exactly the way it was the day before. I basically spent $9,000 that day. And I was so grateful that I was in a position where I could drop $9,000 on something. Mm, yeah. But it was heartbreaking the fact that it was, it was implicit bias is, is why. Mm -hmm. uh, so th there's a lot of different things that has happened to me through the years. Uh, I was arrested and uh, actually I was, I was leaving a bar with a friend. She fell and hit her head. Mm -hmm. uh, and blood freaks me out. Every time I see blood, I pass out. Every time I give blood, I pass out. As soon as she fell, I saw she was bleeding. I called uh, the police department. I told them where we were and I passed out. Uh, when I woke up, I was in handcuffs and they took her away in, a in an ambulance. They held me for 21 hours, wouldn't tell me why, uh, wouldn't tell me if my friend was okay. Uh, and they just kind of let me go after 21 hours with, and, and they did a rape kit on me. Finally, when uh, they, they released me, when it was made clear that that was my friend, that I actually called the police. So there's just a bunch of different things happened to me through the year, but I try uh, through my life, but I, I try not to talk about that when I'm talking to, to students. Mm -hmm. uh, what I try to talk to them about is actually this book that, uh, that I read, uh, 35 Dumb Things Well-Intended People Say. Mm -hmm. And it uh, just things like asking someone where are they really from? Uh, where are you really from? To you that you could be curious, like, oh, they have an accent, but yeah. that's your intent is just curiosity. But the impact you'll have on them is you're saying they don't look like they belong there and you and they owe you an explanation on why they're there yeah, because yeah, yeah. no one's going to ask a white person where are they really from uh and an another one is like colorblind colorblindness uh saying that you treat everyone the same well treat them the same as what do you treat do you treat the black kids the same the same as the white kids so is that the standard you're actually treating people by so the idea behind this book is just like the intent that what which is met uh, by the impact that it has, and I think that students weirdly I, I don't know about when you were growing up, like where you were from, but where I was from, we roasted each other, we were mean to each other, and that's how <laughs> you told each other you loved each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These yeah. kids today have this crazy concept. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it. To to tell each other they love each other, they actually say it. I would have never considered that as a, as a student or caring about the feelings of another person. Right. Uh, so I'm blessed to be able to work with students who actually care and they're, they're more receptive and they're more conscious and they're more woke than the adults I speak to. Definitely. Which is scary and exciting at the same time. Definitely. Well, awesome, man. That was a hell of a story. What's next. What are you working on moving forward? Uh, 
now uh, I have, I, I've, I've booked all these gigs for February. Uh, so I'm just like in my office, just knocking out all these gigs. Uh, I'm, I didn't realize it, but I'm a homebody. I, <laughs> I've never lived in a place. Even when I, I had an apartment, I traveled 300 days a year. Yeah. But this is the first time in my life, like I've had a house where I feel comfortable. Like even growing up, I never felt comfortable in my house. Mm. Now that I feel comfortable here, my girl's trying to get me a hobby. She's like, you're, you're always home. <laughs> you should go somewhere. You want to like, I, I don't go anywhere. I, I read, I write. This is on my to-do list. Oh, nice. Love to see it. Love to see it. I, I had to break it out. Now I'm just going to leave it on my desk. Cause I do <laughs> want to start become, I, I do want to, what's next for me is I want to get better at what I do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to, uh, I want to work. I'm going to take all the money I make in February and put it back into my business, put it into technology in my office, put it into branding material, put it into my website, put it into videos. Mm. Uh, and I want to continue to grow the worth of my business because I want to get to the place where uh, I can make enough money to where I can buy a school bus, outfit it and uh, start a family on a school bus with my girlfriend. <laughs> I think that uh, the, the workbook will, will help because you've got a ton of great stories. We've heard a lot today. Uh, and I think a video, a video series could be really cool or just telling those stories by themselves and, and video could be really cool. But you've, you, you've obviously got a lot of great stories to share. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. It was a pleasure talking to you, my friend. It's good to hear things are going so well for you. Yeah. Awesome, right, man. Bro. Have a great day. My name is Rain Bennett. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. If you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show, give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it. We love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show. That's what fuels us and that's what fuels the show. And if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show, please please share it with them. The more we grow, the more we can help you grow. And that's what we're here to do. Join us next time on the Storytelling Lab. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.